So we've spent the last couple of weeks in book Proverbs, and we uh, Proverbs obviously is is a lot of it is attributed to uh, to Solomon. And uh, nice to see you, Jimmy. And uh, so we talked a lot about uh, self-control, about knowledge, uh, about wisdom, about uh, ser- several things that kind of uh, inter- intertwine out of uh, Proverbs 25. And, and I, I thought it would be interesting to, to, take o- to go over from uh, that discussion and, and look at another side of, uh, even though uh, Solomon didn't, didn't actually write uh, 25. Uh, he's Proverbs 25. He certainly uh, has attributed a lot to tro- to Proverbs. But I thought we would go back, go over, and look at, at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is one of those uh, books of of Scripture that intrigues me, and uh, uh, because it's it's so cynical in its approach, it 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 takes the viewpoint of one that is identified as the preacher. And throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's a search for the meaning of life on earth. It's a search for a meaning of life in, in existence under the sun. And it's, it's interesting to me to, to look at this as, as a bit of a, uh, uh, an exercise in, uh, in examining one thing so that we can clearly see something else. Um, it's it's kind of this probably isn't the best analogy, but but you think about the show All in the Family that was on back in the seventies. If you ever have, have have seen that and you remember that, the whole point of the Archie Bunker character was that he was he was such a you know he he was so prejudiced he was so all of these things that we were supposed to look at that and realize the absurdity of it. We're supposed to look at that character and realize in society how when we see that it's just totally misguided and he's missing he's missing all the truths in life and and in a way i see that when we start to look at the book of uh, of ecclesiastes and examine what's written here uh, because as as the preacher is searching throughout the text for the meaning of life and he's examining everything that's going on around him and everything that's on earth He's, he seems to be intentionally leaving out the fact that there is something above the sun. And, and it really calls our attention to the opposite of where it is that he's searching for the meaning of life. Because when you look for this, for the meaning of life here on earth, and you pull God out of the picture, you don't find any true meaning of life. Which is one of the things that always astounds me about atheism. How you can can ex- how you can exist in this world and find happiness in any on any level or joy on any level, believing that there is no creator that created what's around you. It, it, it just astonishes me that folks are able, and perhaps they they are totally miserable, and perhaps that's why they're always attacking Christians. Uh, and, and trying to, to go after those who do believe in God uh, because they just want to have a little bit of what misery loves company, right? We'd like, they'd like to see us drug into the same hole that, that they're in. I'm not entirely sure what their, their reasoning is, uh, but, but it's, it's astounding to me. And so when we, when we start through here at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, <clears throat> we're first going to talk about 
the preacher who is who identifies himself in verse one, chapter one of verse one. He says, it says, these are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. And you're going to find scholars who will argue about the fact that whether or not this was was, was written by Solomon. You'll find some who believe it was written by more than one person. You will find some who believe it wasn't written during the time of Solomon, but later on. But they all agree that the perspective here is supposed to be from the eyes of Solomon. The perspective here is supposed to be from what from what Solomon is, is seeing and experiencing at a certain point. And there's a word here that I know, if you've ever looked at, at the book of Ecclesiastes, you've seen the word vanity, and it's used quite a bit uh, throughout uh, the book. And, and we're going to spend a lot, of, a lot of time examining that word vanity this evening um, and, and really trying to get an understanding of what Scripture means when it uses the word here that's translated as vanity. So let's just take a look at the, the, the very second verse here where he writes, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is a broad brush statement. And um, you know, and and when you were down, when you were down with the rest of the ladies at uh, at Polly's Island, you had sent me just just a picture of just the the room there from the back. And I saw on this on the TV screen that there was a comedian on the screen, comedian Jeff Allen. And com- comedian Jeff Allen, I don't know if anybody here ever hear his uh, story of salvation, how he came to know Christ. He's he's a a funny guy, but he was wrapped up in drugs. He was going through divorce. He absolutely having a a, a totally terrible life. And and he actually went golfing with a rich man. And the reason he went golfing with a rich man was to try and determine how he became rich. And while they were out golfing, he was asking him questions. How did you do this? How did you get your money? How did you, you make these decisions and all these things? And the rich man told him, he said, well, it's easy, the Bible. And he said, oh, come on. Yeah, you, the Bible, what's the Bible got to do with being rich? He said, I live my life based on biblical principles. I run my business based on biblical principles. And everything I've ever done comes from the Bible. And so because of that, I've made the right decisions. And this is where it's led me. I can't, I can't say anything more than that. And he kind of said, you know, I, I obviously, I don't, I don't, uh, this is just a bunch of bunk. But he said, I treated him nice. I, I went along with him because obviously he's rich. And he said, I want to be rich. And the guy says, and he was the free ride to the golf course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, in the end, he says, all right, I'm going to sign you up for, the, the rich guy said, I'm going to sign you up for a Bible study. And these, I'm, I'm going to have tapes, back it was cassette tapes at the time, that'll come to your house every month. And as those tapes come to your house, just, just listen to them and see what, you know, what, you, what you think about them. And so there's a lot of time that went by. And sure enough, he signed him up. These tapes kept coming in. A lot of things happened. And I won't get into all the things that happened between him and his wife and drugs and, and uh, his wife leaving him. But in the end, he finds himself living in his house with basically nothing in the house but a chair and a boom box on the floor. And he winds up going into the house and he finds one of those tapes that his, his wife didn't throw them away. She kept them. He wanted them thrown away. And it was one of those tapes. And it happened to be a study on the book of Ecclesiastes. And he opened it up and he put it into the tape player and he started playing it. 
And he heard, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And it, he said, whoa, this is the Bible? So this is the Bible saying that, that our, our life's pursuit is worthless? I didn't know this was in the Bible. And it got his attention. And he started listening to it really intently. And he said he literally, literally got a Bible and listened more and more and more and followed more and more and studied more. He said he ran out in his front yard and started screaming the top of his lungs. He says, hey, have you guys read this thing? This is incredible. And he became a Christian from listening to a study on the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says he shares that with people. And the first thing people say is, how in the world did you become a Christian listening to Ecclesiastes? That's the last book we would ever use to try and convert somebody. He says, well, you didn't know me like God knew me. He knew where my heart was. He knew where my attitude was. And that's where he led me was to the book of Ecclesiastes. And it related to his condition. It related to his hopelessness. And it helped him to come to an understanding that when you look in for meaning in life, by strictly looking for the meaning around you, you don't find it. And you have to go beyond. You have to find faith. You have to look for the creator. And so there's a lot to that. Yeah, go ahead. Well, first, instead of mind saying vanity, meaningless. Meaningless, yes. And, and so that's where I want to actually jump into the the actual meaning of the word vanity. And we find that that particular word used throughout scripture in different applications. And so uh, I'm gonna read to you here from a, from a, a, a study uh, that actually talks a lot about this word vanity. It says the, the original Hebrew word literally means a, a, a vapor or a breath. So it's, you can just imagine it's essentially nothing. It's, it's the basis of nothingness. And so when I, I think about you know, how in the book of, of James that we studied several weeks ago, where he says, you know, our life is, is but a vapor. And I said to me, that makes me think about you walk outside and you let out your, your breath in the, in the wintertime and it just dissipates and it's gone. Starts out here and then it's just nothing. And you think about all of our pursuits. You think about all the things that we do in life. You think about how we put so much importance on things that after we, 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 we run ourselves to death, work ourselves to death, all to achieve something physical, and we're putting all of our hope and trust that this one thing is going to make us happy and make us feel good, and we get to the end of it, and suddenly it's just an empty feeling. And you look back at all the sacrifices you made to gain an earthly gain and what happened. You lost out on things that were truly important. You, you, you real, come to the realization that you actually put it in front of, of God. And so when you think about the, this word vanity or this nothingness or meaningless um, application here, it's, it's a very sad statement when we see the preacher, in this case, make a statement that not just vanity, but it is, it is the, the nothingness of nothingness. It's worse than nothing. It's, a, it, it's, it's the most nothing you can ever imagine. You, um, Lois, your, your daughter once uh, helped coin a nickname for me in high school. Yeah, you should be. No, she... Uh, <laughs> 
Well, okay, some, I don't know how it came about, but we were, we were all together in newspaper class, and somebody referred to me one time as pond scum. I don't know how it happened. But I, I started, it, I'd walk in and they'd get, even the teacher would go, hey, it's a resident pond scum. And it, it was a joke, we just floated around. Well, somewhere, and I think Leanne was responsible for this, it developed into slime gutter slime. So I wasn't just the slime gutter, I was the slime in the slime gutter. And so I thought of that when I was reading through, I don't know why, but when I thought of vanity of vanities, I thought, yeah, you know, I was the slime in the slime gutter in high school. Yeah, brought back fond memories. So, <laughs> so just, <laughs> so, so just ask, ask Leanne if she remembers me being pond scum. She will. She always talks to you, Okay. Well, <laughs> I took it in the best light. Was it something that everybody thought was fun? Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't anything to it at all. It was it was fun. Yeah, it was ever that's that's how I remember it. Fondly. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> So anyway. Did you have to go to counseling over it? No, no, not at all. Okay. No. No. You didn't hold up a little sign and <laughs> no. no, all is well. It's okay. <clears throat> I'm perfectly fine now. But not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. I may have to. I may have to get one though. Next time I go to Target or something. <laughs> anyway. So, he, and he ends it with saying that all is vanity. So it's a broad brush painting that everything is vanity. So let's, let's, let me just share some things here with you. Um, that particular, particular word translated as vanity, vanity, or as you said, uh, um, Barbara, translated as, uh, as meaningless? Meaningless. Um, this, this particular study talks about vanity in relation to time. It says that the word speaks of the transitory nature of things. It's used in, in, in this way in the Psalms where human life is described as a vapor. Um, it's, it's likened to a wisp, a vapor, a puff of wind, or a mere breath. Nothing you could get your hands on. The nearest thing to zero. Everything in an earthbound life is fleeting and it's utterly futile to try to hold on to anything for in the end it will all burst like a bubble and be taken from us. And of course Jesus reinforces that in Matthew 6:19 when he talks about how we shouldn't lay up our treasures in heaven uh, or we should lay up our treasures in heaven and not here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The word vanity is used in relation to value. So the psalmist also uses the same word for that which is false and worthless. Therefore, their days he consumed in futility. The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile. Jeremiah also takes up the theme when he speaks of worthlessness and unprofitable things. Many things of this world have a habit of disappointing us. They only flatter to deceive. We may invest our lives pursuing things that at first seem almost priceless, only to discover that we have been wasting our time in pointless activity. And it is vanity because that time is irretrievable and it's lost forever. It talks about vanity in relation to eternity. Um, 
It says, idols will consume our interests even uh, before our gods, keeping us from the one true God. So as we, as, as we invest our time into um, things of this earth, we start to idolize these things, and it keeps us away from God. And if that's what's happening to us, it's going to affect us um, eternity. And so <clears throat> vanity of vanities is an expression of the absolute. Nothing exceeds the vanity the preacher has discovered in his search for the meaning of a life without God. This method of repeating a word is used elsewhere in the Bible for the same purpose. And the preacher refers to everything as being vanity, although there's no specific reference at this point in his text. He'll later explain he's referring to everything that is subject to life under the sun. Without the creator, the whole of creation is subject to futility. So... <clears throat> By reading this, we should be thinking of the opposite. We should be thinking that, wow, he really is missing the point of it all. But then again, he's making a point for us. So in verse, let's, let's look down these verses 3 through 10 and then go back and, and do some discussion. Verse 3, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So this, again, he's painting this picture, right? These things happen all the time. What are we doing with our lives? What's the point of it all? Verse five, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. I'm going to stop there for just a minute, and we'll back up and look at some of these. If you look at verses verses three through through uh, through five, or actually three through four, he's really talking in, in, in a in a linear fashion, right? Basically, you go out and you work and you work and you work, and what does it gain you? Because people live their life and they die and they disappear. And all the work that they did is gone and whatever, whatever they gained, somebody else gets to take advantage of. What is the point? But after that, he starts talking about things in a bit of a circular fashion, if you will. Talking about, about how the sun rises, the sun goes down, and then it rises again. He talks about the wind blowing in a circuit and coming around. He talks about the streams in the circular fashion with which they empty in. And it's really interesting that he finds negativity in that because all through Scripture, we find so much to take heart in the fact that we get to see the sun come up and the sun go down and the way that creation speaks to about the creator. And there's so much in what we see around us that proves that God exists and that proves that God cares about us and loves us and he provides for us. He uses the sun to grow the plants that, that, 
that feed us and, and uses that for feeding the animals, et cetera, and you can go on and on and on. And yet, when you take the whole element of God out of this, you look at it and you go, it's just a bunch of stuff that keeps happening over and over again, and it has no purpose. I'm kind of, this thought process is kind of pumping in my head on those two verses. Like he's not so much getting our attention about what's going on in the world, but just letting us know how short life is and not to take it for granted. Yeah, and, and that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate end of all this, right? But it's but it but it goes beyond that, right? You cannot take it for granted, but if you still don't have God in the middle of it, then you you're still lacking the purpose of it all. And, and if you don't put God in the middle of what's going on, <clears throat> and if you seek meaning in anything without looking to God for that meaning, you miss it. You know, it, it's great to enjoy things. It's great to be able to experience things. But, but there are people who are completely lost who experience things and enjoy things every day. And the true meaning of existence I mean, at some point, if you don't have God in the middle of everything that you're doing, and if you don't look for, for all the meaning and everything through God, you're going to come up dry. Because all meaning that you can interject into anything, as the preacher here is trying to do, winds up in the same place. You always wind up coming up with this, well, okay, well, there's, there's death, Right? You get to the end of it and you die. Or you, you put all the work into something and then you get it and then somebody else gets to enjoy it. Or I used to, used to tell Ann, I said, isn't it a cruel thing that by the time I got old enough to really appreciate how wonderful children are and how wonderful it is to have a baby in the house, we're too old to have children. It's just one of those, we went through five kids and, and, and through that whole process and working so hard, doing so much, trying to raise everybody, trying to make sure everybody's fed. And Anne's doing the same thing with all the, taking care of the family. And, and, the, and that the time goes by like that. And then all of a sudden, things start to slow down a little bit and you have a little one and you go, oh, wow, this is incredible. And you look around and say, I had four, I had four more of these and I, I kind of missed it. I was there for all of it, but I kind of missed it. And so if you try to find meaning in the things that you're doing, and that's all you do is find meaning in those things, you, you come up depressed and you come up va feeling vacant. And, and that's where the preacher's headed here with these words. You know, like how commentary says that there's several passages in Ecclesiastes they emphasize wisdom's limitations in comparison to Proverbs, which emphasizes wisdom's benefit. Absolutely. Yeah, and we'll get we'll we'll get into some of that at some point through here, because if we accept that, then I don't really care, but if we accept that this was written by Solomon, I think it, it adds more emphasis to those verses that talk about the limitation of wisdom. Uh, because knowing Knowing, and let's talk about Solomon for a minute. What do we know about Solomon, right? We, we, we know how wise Solomon was, the decisions he made. We also know, though, that he made some terrible decisions. And we know that God basically told him, 
don't take multiple wives, don't marry outside your kingdom, don't do this, don't do that. And he did all these things God said not to do. And when he did those things, all of these idolatry and all these other beliefs came into his household and all of that wound up being his downfall. And, and so when we think about Solomon and we realize that, that he put himself in a situation where he essentially disobeyed God and it led to all these problems, if you think about a man who's lived that kind of a life and you realize that Ecclesiastes is written from that point of view, this is a man who understands what life really looks like when you wind up without God at the center of everything. This is a man who understands how bad things can fall apart. And so we need to pay attention to verses like that when he talks about the limitation of wisdom. Because as wise as he was, he relied upon his own wisdom. And when you start to rely upon yourself and you think you have it all figured out, kind of goes back to our, our discussion a couple Sundays ago, we talked about head knowledge versus heart knowledge. When all you do is apply your head knowledge and don't worry about anything else and you think, I got it. I'm leaning on my own understanding because I am very wise and I am very smart. You may not say that out loud, but if you're hearing that in your own head, you're deceiving yourself. And you wind up in a situation like Solomon wound up where God is no longer at the center of what you're doing and you can't find meaning in any of this. And he, he ruled during a time where there wasn't a whole lot of war. There wasn't a whole lot going on. It was, there, there, were, there were reasons for a king to be happy. He had built alliances with all the other kingdoms through these marriages, so that brought peace. There were reasons why things should have been great. And uh, James, I'll make something come up on your phone. Should have been sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. It did. <laughs> but they, they wrote another song about the vanity parts called Who Am I? Because that's um, I am the flower quickly fade. Oh, yes, yes. And gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the sight scene, a vapor in the wind still you. Hear me when I'm falling, or you catch me when I'm falling, and you told me who I am, I am yours. And that, but that, and, and that's the conclusion we have to come to here, right? That's the conclusion we have to come to. Since I was off Sunday, I had to get down. Well, I appreciate that. I do. <laughs> I appreciate that wholeheartedly. But he finds no satisfaction in any of these things. In verse 8, he says, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What is it, what is it when we pursue something? Right? We, we, we wind up pursuing something all the way to the end just so that we can pursue something else. Uh, you know, I, used to, I used to pick on Zach a lot because it was a very simple process. We we get him a phone, and then he gets a he 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 won't hush till he gets the the case that he wants for that phone, and then a, you know a week later he's looking at another case for that phone, and he winds up getting that one. And a week later he was looking at another case for that phone. I'm like, well, are you never happy? You 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 know you wouldn't stop until you got that phone case, 
and then and then I have to step back and take a look at, at the things that I do in life that are exactly the same. <laughs> the things that I pursue and say, I gotta have that. That's the latest and greatest piece of technology. Oh, I have it. And then I can't wait for the for the manufacturer to release the next version because it's cooler. And I gotta go after that too. We've all got our propensities that lead us towards something. And every one of those is a pursuit that quite frankly is worthless. In the end, it gets us nowhere because we take all of our resources and we pile it into getting this. And then as soon as something else comes out, you know, we're, our, our eye is not satisfied with seeing. We have to go to the next level and we have to go to the next level. And it's a desire that never stops. And, and the text here is telling us how worthless that is when it comes to trying to find fulfillment and meaning. <clears throat> it's just not going to happen. Verse 9, he says, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. That really and truly is kind of in direct conflict um, with what we think about in Scripture. If you realize that God's blessings are renewed each and every morning. If you think about what we find in Christ, a new birth, a new life. This text, with the point of view of just trying to find meaning under the sun, and you say, there's nothing new here to be found. Everything that ever has happened is going to happen again. And when we see something as new, verse 10, he says, is there a thing which is said, uh, see, this is new? It has already it's been already in the ages before us. That's all well and good, but we have to think about what it means to become a new creature. We have to think about what it means to be a new person in Christ, what it means to have a new heart, what it means to be born again, and the importance of that, because through that process is where we realize where the writer is missing the, the big picture here by taking this approach and saying that there's just nothing new under the sun. I mean, this is really depressing. We're all the same journal, jumping off the same wheel. Yeah, we are. As soon as one jumps off, the other jumps off. That's it. And, and you're just sitting there and just, you're, you're just running. That's it. Yeah, that is it. That's why you don't put your treasures here. <laughs> that's why, I, I think I heard what you said, but... Yeah, don't put your treasures here. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's see, I was in verse 10, verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things uh, yet to be among those who come after. Um, so in other words, we don't remember the people that came before us, what they did, who they are. They died, and nobody's going to remember you either. That's, that, make, that should make you feel really good inside. So when we start, start talking about here uh, a little bit further on down, again, no remembrance of former things, and uh, there's not going to be anything coming after you either. Again, if we're focusing on 
the impact that we make here, if we're focusing on things that are worldly, we wind up absolutely finding no meaning in anything. Then this next part here, uh, Ron, actually goes into some of the things that you were talking about. And that's the vanity of wisdom. And again, the preacher here, he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. So it's bad enough that he has just gone through all of what he has said about uh, uh, all the things that are vanity and meaningless, but in the end, he now says, I've seen it all. And essentially, it is nothing more than just striving after the wind. What a, what a pointless pursuit to chase after wind. What a pointless pursuit to try and identify the, the wind and just go after it. And you're wasting all of your time. And that's what he's saying. I've seen it all. I've witnessed it all. And, and I've had a wonderful life. And in the end, it's just a waste. His message hasn't changed at all. He says in verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. If you don't have it, you can't count on it. And if it's, and if it's crooked, you can't straighten it out. In verse 16, he said, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also that this also is but striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Work on that verse for a minute with me, will you? But verse 17, let's let's talk about that first, and then let's really talk about 18. So he's he has come to the conclusion that all of this wisdom that he has, he knows it, he knows he has wisdom. He also understands madness and folly, so craziness and, and foolishness. And he says all of these things are, are striving after the wind. So knowing all of that, how can you come to the conclusion, verse 18, that much wisdom and, and the more knowledge that you have also increases your sorrow? What does knowledge do that can cause us to be sorrowful? Yeah, there there might be a difference between over between overthinking things though and just increasing your knowledge. Well, then you become more aware of other needs and problems around you. I, and I think that's that's probably the the, the crux of the, of the matter here. There's an old saying that says bliss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The more you learn, the less you know. The more you learn, the less you know, and that's why it's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. And and from a biblical biblical perspective, the more you learn, the more you start to become aware of your sinfulness. 
the more you start to become of, aware of how, how much you fall short. And then falling back to, you become more aware of the vanity of it all. Of it all. So, so he's, he's making the point here that, you know what? You think wisdom is, is the answer to everything? Wisdom by itself is a problem. Wisdom alone is a problem. You think that knowledge is the key to everything? And that, that, was, a, that was a movement, right? The, 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 the Gnostics believed that, that the way to enlightenment and salvation was increasing knowledge. As much knowledge as you could gain, just bring it on. I want to learn more, learn more. And, and to me, this is, this is his way of attacking that and saying, honestly, the more you learn, the more miserable you're going to become. The more knowledge that you gain, the worse it's going to be because you're just going to become aware of the things you don't know and you're going to become aware of your faults. You're going to become aware of all the things that are bad in the world. And so you need something in your life to be able to put all of that in proper perspective. If you don't put all of that in proper perspective, it's going to do nothing but destroy you. Because what happens when you get into this frame of mind? I mean, this is the picture here, in my opinion, of someone who is absolutely drenched in a level of depression that today they'd probably diagnose as clinical depression. If they're looking around them and saying, everything is just bad. Everything is horrible. And it's not going to get any better. I'm wasting my time. I'm just going to die anyway. Why should I even try? I mean, you'd be sent to counseling. And, and so the whole, the whole point of this, and one of the reasons why when you, when you start talking about things from a counseling perspective, the differences between secular counseling versus Christian counseling, there's one major difference between the two types of counseling. Christian counseling is really discipleship. It really is in, in and of itself. But the major difference between the two types of counseling is if you ask most secular counselors, are people inherently good or are people inherently bad? The immediate response is people are inherently good. And they try to convince people and work with people and counsel them to see the good in themselves. Biblical counseling will tell you that people are inherently sinful and bad and that without salvation and without God you can't find good because only God is good and it leads you down a totally different path and that's why biblical counseling is really a form of discipleship it's really a form of, of leading and strengthening people when it comes to their belief and their salvation and secular counseling is the exact opposite because it's, it's telling you to lean on your own understanding and to look at the things around you in the world and find meaning in those things. And as we look at Ecclesiastes, we're seeing this picture of what happens when you focus solely on the world around you to find meaning. And it winds up in an empty hole because God's not in it. Well, that's probably a verse about verse. keeps... And for me, is this talking about worldly wisdom? You know? Yeah. That's, that's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah, that's it. This is all, this is all worldly wisdom. This is all devoid of, of God in any way, shape, or form from this point of view, which is why he drives home the point that 
it's under the sun. He's constantly talking about what is taking place under the, under the sun, on earth, right in front of us. But there's more to it than that. And, and so, yeah, if you take, if you take this, this picture, and I'm not, I'm not going to go on past, uh, past where we're at in, in the scripture uh, this evening. We'll pick up there next week. Uh, and talk about the vanity of self-indulgence, and then we may skip around throughout because over the next, um, James, you say I'll, I'll probably be doing this through the, the uh, what three three weeks in June, probably. probably. Okay, okay. So we'll we we may skip around a bit in this um, throughout the next couple of weeks, and and just see how things play out as as Tink comes up and and play a little bit by ear. But but we'll uh, Ecclesiastes is is, is eye opening. Um, and it's and it's a bit it's a bit scary at times to think about um, where where do we look for meaning, where do we look for purpose, where do we look for things that that truly bring us that should bring us joy, and if it's strictly based upon worldly things, worldly knowledge, and worldly wisdom, there's a hole, there's a void, and that's where this is going to lead us through. As we look at uh, the rest of uh, uh, of what the the author examines here, so any other uh, questions, comments, or anything um, before we we close for the evening? Well, God gives us all kinds of different examples. It's easy for me to say because we can all again it's the same, but this guy sounds like a liar. It just makes me think of the complete opposite joke. You know? Yeah. yeah. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and and you know, um, <laughs> if I mean again, I think if you think about someone who has perhaps gone through what we know Solomon went through, this may be a great way to write something to say how your how your life has got to a point where you feel and you've realized that there's nothing in the meaning of God, of, of anything that is devoid of God. The whole, the whole point of this is that if God's not in it, there's nothing in it. And so if we, if we, if we, if we come to an understanding, even though we don't have biblical evidence of, of Solomon turning his life around and coming back to God and writing this as a result of that, um, I, th- I think we can we can kind of approach it from that perspective of well, what better way to prove that you've got to have God than to write about what it's like without Him, you know? And and I and your your point's well taken. Sounds like a whiner, and yeah, complete opposite of Job. But but when you read this, that's what you thought about. That's what you thought about. You thought about, you know, there, there's a better example. Yeah, there's a better example. So, so let's let's see where this where this takes us, and uh, and we'll go from there and see where it goes. Anything else this evening? Clock's always got a lot to say. Well, I appreciate y'all being here tonight. We'll we'll pick up there next week and see where it takes us. I do hope you come back and. Uh, um, Ron, would you close this, please? Okay.
and then Father wants to come to me at this time. We're so thankful for the opportunity to be here on Wednesday and study more. Uh, we just need that shot in the arm over the week. And we're just thankful that it's here and for all the jobs to study and prepare for it. And just thank you for all the decisions you gave us. Yes, you give us our sins and Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.